Well, hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. Wherever you are, we are so thrilled that you're inviting us into your place and your space. Uh, we're going to have a great message today. Before we do that, I just want to throw a few things out there for you. Uh, if you find what we do here helpful, if this is something that's a part of your spiritual journey that is helping you grow, uh, we'd encourage you, like our page, uh, subscribe to what's happening here. This will get you the latest content when it comes out so that you never miss out on something going on here at Christ Community. One other thing too, uh, if you want to know more about what we're doing as a church, ways to get connected and involved, go ahead and head over to our website. We got a link down below, but it's cccgreeley.org and you can find out anything and everything you could possibly want to know. Uh, but we hope you enjoy. Hello, Christ community. Welcome to all those who are here and those who are watching this online. Welcome to all of you. If you have your Bible or Bible app, or your 1 Corinthians journal, uh, we invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter four. We're in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, which technically is not a book, it's a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was kind of a mess. And Paul's purpose in writing this letter was to really address the mess address the messiness, and to apply some much-needed correction to this group of relatively new believers in Jesus. Now, one of the things that you, you love about a letter, different than like the book of John or whatever, a letter, it's so, there are elements that are so personal, right? This is a personal letter Paul is writing. And so one of the things that comes out, especially in chapter four, is Paul's heart for these people that he's writing to. Even in the midst of his frustration with them, the Apostle Paul really loves these people. In fact, look with me at verse 14. We're gonna jump down a little bit, which near the end of the passage we're looking at today, but listen to Paul's heart, verse 14. I'm writing this to you not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. See, Paul's heart for these people is the heart of a father for this church. He said, you may have many guardians, you know, that, you know, are interacting, influencing you, but you, you only have one father, he's saying, and I'm that guy. So whatever he shares with them, even hard, challenging things, he wants them to know they're all out of loving concern for them. He corrects them because he wants what's best for them. And notice how, like a good father, he wants them to imitate him. He says in verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. He wants them to pattern their lives after him, which is an amazing statement when you think about it. And it's also something that we desperately need Today, I, you know, as, as we look at the state of Christianity in America, I feel like we need examples like Paul. We need examples of people who model for us what a godly, spiritually healthy life looks like, a life that will challenge us and stretch us to grow spiritually. Look, I don't know about you, but I don't want to pattern my life after someone with a mediocre faith in Jesus any more than I want to pattern my golf swing after a high handicapper, okay? I want to pattern my life after a guy like Paul, who really is the epitome of spiritual maturity. He's an amazing example to us 
of spiritual maturity. So according to Paul, what does, according to the life of Paul, what does spiritual maturity look like? How do we imitate him? Well, look, look how he describes himself in the first verse of chapter four. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Okay, so Paul got to review a little bit to understand what he's talking about. Paul is writing to a group of people who we know from the first three chapters have been arguing and dividing over who's the better leader, Apollos or Paul. And he's been, he's been talking about this division for the past three chapters. It's come up a lot. It was a very big deal. Now he's finally putting that issue to rest. And here's, what he's do, he's, here's how he's doing that. He's saying, look, this is how I want you to view myself and Apollos. Not in terms of who's the best teacher or who's the most effective communicator or the most influential person to follow. No, no, no. I, Paul says, I want you to view us as servants of Christ. Now, this word servant he uses here, it's pretty interesting because it's not the word he used in chapter three. It's also translated servant. It's a different word. The word he uses here for servant literally means under rower. <laughs> under rower. You know those guys in the ships of old who were underneath, you know, rowing while the captain was on deck, you know, in charge. That's what this word means literally means. <clears throat> this word was also used in secular context to speak of a military officer's attendant. Okay, so it's describing that person who stands at the beck and call of a superior, waiting to obey any order. Paul's saying, this is how I want you to view me, because this is how I view myself, not as the one in charge. No, I view myself as an under rower, a subordinate who stands at the beck and call of Jesus, ready to do whatever he asks. See, for Paul, this is the foundation for what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus. This really is the key, the essence of spiritual maturity. It's viewing ourselves as servants of Christ. And again, he urges us to imitate him. One of the dangers of leadership, whether it's in the church context, or the business world or politics, education, whatever, one of the dangers is that we as leaders can begin to get seduced by this sense of entitlement. We start to think that everyone around us exists to serve us and to serve our vision and our purpose and our needs. See, Paul diligently resisted this. He wanted these people to view him as the chief servant, the chief under rower of Jesus. Well, Paul then uses another word to describe what kind of servant he longs to be. Look at verse two. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. See, to Paul, this is the defining characteristic of servanthood, of, 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 of maturity. It's being faithful, being a faithful servant of Jesus. This is the foundation for spiritual maturity, not Bible knowledge or seminary degrees or church attendance. No, do we see ourselves as under rowers, as subordinates, as servants of Jesus? Now, at some level, we, we all, many of us, we know this. I mean, this is the language that's 
fairly familiar to, to, to most Christians. We know we're supposed to be faithful servants of Jesus. But I'm wondering, do we have, do we have a clear, do we really have a clear picture of what that actually looks like in day-to-day life? Well, Paul gives us one from the example of his own life. Again, remember he said to, uh, he urges us to imitate him. So he's describing his own life. So what Paul does in the rest of this chapter, chapter four, is reveal to us in his own personal example, two distinguishing marks of someone who truly is a faithful servant of Jesus. And I'm gonna just say up front, this is like master's level servanthood, okay? I just give you a little warning. <laughs> This is not basic servant. This is not 101. This is like master's level material. It's very challenging. So are you, are you ready? Okay, good. Here we go. Ready to be challenged. The first distinguishing characteristic of a faithful servant of Jesus is this. It's how you respond to criticism. How you respond to criticism. As, as we've seen earlier in this letter, not everyone in the church of Corinth thought that much of Paul. They, not everyone was that impressed with Paul. Um, and this is what fed some of the division because some people were saying, I follow Apollos, not that Paul guy. I much prefer Apollos than Paul. So Paul knew that there were many people in the church of Corinth who were criticizing him. They were critical of him. So how did Paul respond? Actually, before we look at this, let me ask you, how do you respond to criticism. How, how do you respond when someone doesn't think that highly of you or think that highly of something you've done? For many of us, it's hard to not take that personally, right? And to spiral into feeling awful about ourselves. That's often our response to criticism. Look at how Paul responds, verse three. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. <laughs> this is an amazing statement. <clears throat> Paul identifies here two main sources of criticism that we all experience. One is criticism from other people. He talks about people you know, judging him. So criticism from other people, people judging us or thinking negatively about us or saying negative things about us, that's one. And that's significant. I mean, which has more impact upon us? An encouraging email or social media comment from someone about us or a negative email or comment about us? What do we think about more? What do we dwell on more? I mean, for me personally, 10 encouraging comments or emails from people can easily be completely overshadowed by one critical email, one critical comment or whatever. Okay, so that's one source, right? Criticism from others. But notice Paul mentions another source as well. Judging ourselves. Being critical of ourselves. He mentions both of these. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have this inner critic inside us? This inner critic that's constantly, it's continually doing a play-by-play -play analysis of anything we do, reminding us of how far we fall short and, and how no one really likes us and we could have done better. I mean, can anyone relate to that? Or is it just me? <laughs> so mine's really loud sometimes. See, Paul acknowledges here these, these two sources of criticism 
criticism from other people, criticism from within ourselves and how they can hinder us from truly serving Jesus, right? But Paul didn't live that way. Paul didn't let either one of these take root in his heart. Look again at verse three. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. I love that. I think I need a t-shirt with that on it. I care very little what you think or what I think be a great t-shirt. Okay. I mean, it, it sounds so unchristian, doesn't it? It sounds kind of rude to say it that way, but it's not. It's not rude if it's rooted in what Paul's heart is rooted in. Look at verse four. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. See, notice Paul's ability to care very little about what other people were saying about him was not rooted in a narcissistic, arrogant, to heck with you, chip on his shoulder approach to people. I mean, that's certainly one way to not care about what other people think. But that way doesn't reflect the heart of Christ at all. What Paul is saying is that he cares very little what other people think of him because he knows whose opinion truly matters. Not other people's opinion or even his own opinion about himself. See, the only opinion that truly matters, according to Paul here, is God's opinion. But Paul is saying, that's the only opinion I care about. And so because of that, Paul says, my conscience is clear. I'm not sitting around worrying about what other people think of me. It's not that I'm perfect, he says. It's not that I'm out sin. You know, I just know, as he says in verse four, it's the Lord who judges me. In other words, Paul is saying, God's opinion is the only opinion that matters to me at a core level. And it's the only opinion that should matter at a core level to you and me as well. Verse five, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. See, when we spend all this time worrying about what other people think of us, it reveals at a core level whose praise we're ultimately seeking. Who, who is it? Who it is that we're ultimately serving? Whoever pray, whosoever praise we're seeking, that's who we're ultimately serving. And Paul points out the irony in the passage we just read, that verse we just read here. Here we are, so worried about what other people think, but we don't know their hearts. We don't know their motives, but we're still driven by their opinions. We're enslaved to what other people think of us. I mean, do, do you see how our ability to handle criticism is a significant reflection of our faithfulness as a servant of Christ? Whose opinion truly matters to us? Whose praise are we seeking? Paul was resolute on this point. He didn't allow these external or internal criticisms to take root in his heart because his heart was rooted in Jesus, in what Jesus thinks, in what Jesus values, in how Jesus views Paul. See, friends, look, when we get this issue settled in our own hearts, it can have a huge impact 
on our experience of freedom and joy, as well as a huge impact on our relationships with other people. And here's, here's why. So often, our criticism of other people, if we tend to be critical of other people, so often our criticism of other people is rooted in how critical we are of ourselves. If we are continually judging ourselves as not measuring up, guess where that's going to get directed? Onto everyone around us, our spouse, our children, our fellow employees, our friends. They will never feel like they're measuring up. See, people who are critical of others are often secretly critical of themselves. They know they can't measure up, and then they just project that onto everyone else around them. So Paul offers an antidote to all of this criticizing of others and being critical of ourselves. The antidote, here's the antidote. The antidote is in choosing whose opinion truly matters. Faithful servants of Jesus are people who realize the only opinion, the only opinion of us that truly matters is his opinion. When we care more about his opinion than the opinions of others, we are freed to actually serve him. <laughs> We're no longer in bondage to the opinion of others. We, we don't let those things shape our worth and our, our self-worth and our identity. So this is why, getting practical here, this is why for me, my regular time alone with the Lord is so vitally important. It's not this ought to, and oh yeah, I'm supposed to do that to check off a box. No, 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 it's, it's so important. And this is why when I spend time with the Lord, I intentionally begin in stillness, opening my heart, quieting my heart to the Lord and, and being reminded of his love for me. That's where I start. That's where I always start. It's in quieting my heart and then opening my heart and being reminded of his love for me. And this becomes such a life-giving foundation for me then as I go throughout the day. When I experience people criticizing me or, or I may experience this inner critic pointing out where I fall short, I need to regularly be reminded of what God thinks of me, right? Of what his opinion is of me. And we all need that, <laughs> We all need that. I need it regularly. We all need that. And so that reality, his opinion, being reminded of that, be provides a crucial foundation for us to truly love people the way Paul loved people. This connection is really important. Paul loved these people so much, he was willing to speak some hard, difficult truth to them. But not out of a heart of criticism, but of godly desire for them. He wasn't people-pleasing. See, when, you're people, when we're people-pleasing, we can't really love people because we're enslaved to their opinions of us. We can't really serve Christ because we're enslaved to their opinions of us. When, when we're too concerned about what other people think, we can't really love them enough to speak the truth to them. So do, do you see how this criticism thing can become a huge hindrance to us being faithful servants of Christ? Verse six, now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us 
the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, Paul's saying we are all servants of Jesus. He has provided everything we have. So how can we boast about, oh, I have this gift, or I have this house, or I mean, how can we boast about any of that when all of it is a gift to us? We are all under rowers, right? Everything is a gift. So Paul's saying, look, stop looking at each other and looking at me and looking at Apollos through this critical comparison lens. It is pointless and it's spiritually unhealthy. Okay, so this is the first distinguishing mark of being a faithful servant. Here's how I would say it. Caring less about the opinions of others because you care more about God's opinion. Okay, that's the first mark of being a faithful servant. Well, then Paul dives into a second distinguishing characteristic of being a faithful servant of Jesus. And this is something he is so bothered about that he actually uses some really snarky sarcasm. Some of you are going to love this passage because Paul uses some really snarky sarcasm to make his point. Check this out. Verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. This is dripping with sarcasm in order to make his point. So what point is Paul trying to make? He's, he's bothered about something in a significant way to start leaning into sarcasm to make his point. So what's he so bothered about? Again, this is where you have to do a little bit of um, looking at what he's saying, it's a personal letter to them. We're reading someone else's mail. So we're looking at what he says to them and we're trying to discern, okay, what was probably going on. So from the verses we just read, we can deduce that the believers in Corinth had begun to, had begun to buy into a faulty theology. And we're going to see this in the rest of the passage. They're going to confirm this. They've, they've bought into this, this theology that was rooted in their own self-importance and in self-indulgence. It was basically a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You deserve to be rich. Now that you're a Christian, you deserve to be rich. You deserve to reign in this life, in circumstances and all. You deserve to reign. See, in this false gospel, Christianity is viewed, really it's viewed as a way to get what you want and the comfortable life that you deserve. That's, that's how Christianity is leveraged in this false gospel. And here's the problem. In a consumeristic, self-indulgent city like Corinth, as well as a consumeristic, self-indulgent culture like ours, <laughs> this counterfeit gospel sells. It sells. This kind of Christianity gets lots of views. It fills the airwaves, results in adoring fans and private jets for those who espouse this stuff. I mean, who wouldn't want a gospel that promises us riches and health and applause and unending comforts so that we succeed and are admired by everyone? <laughs> it sounds really appealing, but it triggered something deep in the Apostle Paul because it's the opposite of the foolishness of the cross. 
that the way Jesus reigned was through laying down his life. So this false gospel, it, it feeds our desire for the riches of the cross without the suffering of the cross. We, we wanna leverage the cross for our own comfort and wealth rather than follow a crucified savior wherever he would lead. So for Paul, this is another distinguishing characteristic of what, what it means to be a faithful servant of Christ. It's how you respond to suffering. For the Corinthian believers, suffering and hardships and difficulties, those were a thing of the past. Before we were Christians, those were the thing of the past. Health, wealth, and prosperity are, are now ours. And Paul says, if that's the reigning that you have in mind, if that's the reigning that you are pursuing, you're actually not reigning at all. That's what he says. We just read it. He says, you're not, you're not reigning at all. And then he goes on to describe what true reigning with Christ looks like. And I, I'm gonna, I want to slowly read this passage for you. And I want to invite you to let Paul's words sink in. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. In this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Here is Paul in this unique leadership position in the early church. That of apostle is a big deal. One of the key leaders to help spread the movement of Jesus. And he's saying <laughs> to these Corinthians, he's saying, my life doesn't look at all like the one you guys seem to be pursuing in your version of Christianity, you're trying to be viewed as being wise in the eyes of the world. I'm viewed as being a fool for Christ. In your version of Christianity, you are strong. In my version, I'm weak. In your version of Christianity, you are seeking to be honored by others. In my version, I am regularly dishonored, made fun of, slandered, cursed, and abused. You want to be admired by the world. I'm seen as being the scum of the earth, little more than worthless garbage. Now, please hear me. This is not how Paul feels about himself. It's not what he's saying. This is how Paul is being treated by the world because he is a follower of Jesus. The Corinthian believers were embracing a form of Christianity that 
promised them a life free from this kind of suffering, a life where they would be admired by their culture. And Paul's like, look at me. Look at the the kind of life I'm living. It is the antithesis of what you're pursuing. You were, you were complete, Paul's saying you're completely missing the cross. You are abandoning the foolishness of the cross for the wisdom of the world. See, these consumeristic, self-absorbed Corinthian believers, they needed a wake-up call in, with regard to what it means to follow a crucified Savior, and I kind of think we need one as well. What form of Christianity are we following? A Christianity that's about us having a comfortable life and being admired by the world and treated well by the world, or a Christianity in which we follow Jesus no matter what happens to us, no matter what the world thinks of us. Are are we willing to follow Jesus when it means people will view us as being utter fools, the scum of the earth? Look again at what Paul says, following Jesus as a faithful servant looks like. This is where it gets really practical, and this is straight out of uh, Matthew chapter 5. This is straight out of Jesus' playbook in terms of what he wants his followers, how he wants his followers to live. This is straight out of his playbook right here, Matthew 5. But here's what Paul says, verse 12. When we're cursed, we bless. In other words, when people curse us, we choose to speak blessing back to them. How often do we do that? Verse 12, Paul says, when we are persecuted, we endure it. We don't whine about it. We don't complain about it. We endure it. Paul says, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. Are you kidding me? I mean, when someone trashes us on social media, we're supposed to respond with kindness? Yep. If we are truly servants of Jesus, our crucified Savior. Again, this is, real, this is hard stuff. This is challenging stuff. But this is really important and relevant stuff for us as followers of Jesus in the midst of this consumeristic, image-driven, politically charged culture we live in, where the gospel is so often being seduced by these things, or it's being twisted by these things. And we're being seduced so that we're shaping a gospel according to our culture. It's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Are we willing to be faithful servants of Jesus no matter what he calls us to? No matter the cost to our reputation, no matter how we're viewed by our culture? Are are we willing to keep loving like Jesus loved, embracing a cross-centered life rather than the self-absorbed version of Christianity that is so often promoted and embraced? Which brings us full circle to where we started, verse 14. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful, faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See, this is a loving spiritual father urging his spiritual children to radically change their perspective on the Christianity they are pursuing. 
And so he's sending them, his faithful friend, Timothy, to help them see themselves as faithful servants, under rowers, whose lives are all about Jesus. Now look, I don't know what you're feeling right now in response to this passage, but for me, this passage, it challenges me and it inspires me. I feel like God has something really important for us in this passage. Beyond the Americanized Christianity, we so often find ourselves embracing. I mean, look, what if we actually took Paul's words seriously? What if we sought to pattern our lives after his example? What if we considered the call of Jesus upon us to be faithful under rowers, faithful servants, and we let that call impact how we respond to criticism and how we respond to the mistreatment that we experience in a culture that is increasingly opposed to Jesus. What if we took this passage to heart and we let it be God's word to us? Let's stand. So I invite you to stand. We're gonna enter into a time where we simply are welcoming the Holy Spirit to come. And we're gonna wait in silence, quieting our hearts before him. You know, this is not about a sermon. This is about what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say and to do in us. And so I invite you, we've been doing this for a couple months now, we, this prayer, come Holy Spirit. And if you're comfortable, sometimes I encourage you to have your, and I'll do this, have just my hands open before the Lord in a posture of receiving. Again, this is for each one of us to open our hearts. All we're doing right now is just opening our hearts afresh to the presence of the Holy Spirit and what he would want to say to us and, 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 and do in us. So let's just quiet our hearts. And as we do that, I want you just to be attentive to maybe there's a picture that comes to mind. Maybe there's a, a gentle whisper. Maybe there's just a sense of his presence. Maybe you experience something tangibly you know, in your body. Sometimes that might happen just when we're experiencing the presence of the Lord. Let's just be open to whatever the Holy Spirit would wanna do. So Holy Spirit, come. We open our hearts to you. And Jesus, we're saying yes to you.
Spirit of God, breathe on us. We want to encounter you. We want to experience you. Not just words on a page, but you speaking and moving in us. So I've had this, um, you can continue in a posture of receiving. I've had this scripture that I believe the Lord put on my heart for the response to this message. It's found in the book of Revelation chapter three and it's, it's where Jesus is speaking to one of his churches and they're basically in the same situation the Corinthians are in. They're kind of self-indulgent, they're self-sufficient. We have everything we need, we're rich, we're wealthy. And Jesus speaks to them. And he says, I, I urge you to repent. He says, those that I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be earnest and repent. Buy from me gold. Buy from me clothing. So he, he's, he's urging this repentance. But then I, I want you to, in fact, as you close your eyes, I want you to think about this picture that he gives here. And I want you to envision this in your mind. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Imagine in your mind a door and Jesus is on the other side of that door and he's knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. So this is our part of repentance. We open the door. Jesus says, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's not, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna clean house. It's not what he says. He says, if you open the door, I'm gonna come in and we're gonna hang out over a meal. This is this intimate invitation. And so I, this has been on my heart. I wanna invite you in this space where you see that door and you hear Jesus knocking. And the question is, are you willing to open it? And what's keeping you from opening it? Maybe it's, and again, I'm not talking just about salvation here. This is an invitation to believers. Sometimes fear keeps us from opening it. What's Jesus gonna ask me to do? Sometimes shame keeps us from opening. I don't really want him to see how messy my house is, right? But Jesus' invitation, he's knocking and he wants us to open the door and to experience intimacy with him. And this is repentance. It's Jesus, this part of my life, I'm convicted by this. I, I'm just inviting you into this place. And so I wanna, I wanna just invite you for just a moment to picture that door. Jesus is knocking. And are you willing to open the door and say, Jesus, I need you. I need help in this area. An area of big criticism from other people or just this Christianity that it's all about me. I just need help. 
So let's just open that door. Let's hang out with Jesus. We love you, Lord. We want to hang out over a meal with you. We want to just talk to you and listen to you just about these things in our lives that we know we need to turn from. We know we need to surrender to you. And so, God, would you meet us in that place right now, right here? So this space is an opportunity just to enjoy Jesus, to experience him. You can do that at your seat. So you're just welcoming the spirit there. Or we invite you also, you could come up front here and just be in the presence of the Lord and just respond to whatever he is doing. And if you come up front, we have a prayer team, myself and, and Joyce, and we will, we'll just come alongside you and we're not gonna ask you any questions, but we'll just come alongside and just bless what God's doing and then it, we'll share anything if we sense the Lord maybe laying something in our heart for you. We'll share that with you. We just wanna be a part of whatever God is doing in these moments. So I invite you as we worship, as we're receive, responding to the Lord, I invite you to come forward if you'd like that. So Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We respond to you and to your word. Thank you, Lord. Before you go, we just want to remind you that as always, we are here with you. We're here for you. And so coming out of this message, whatever you're thinking about or even Aside from this message, whatever is going on in your life, we just want to remind you that you can submit your prayer requests or questions or reach out. We would love to talk with you, pray for you. So again, you can go on our website and there's a chat box. There's always somebody there to talk with you or you can submit prayer requests. So please know that you're not alone and we would be honored to just do this together with you as you're growing your spiritual journey. So. Thanks for this time and have a blessed day.